0: Welcome to Health Impressions, the show about authority, acquisition, and retention. I'm your co-host, Brian Cush, co-founder of Title Health Group, a digital marketing agency specializing in healthcare. I'm accompanied by Jay Parkinson, Chief Medical Officer of SANA, a health plan that delivers high-quality healthcare while keeping costs down. Our show focuses on the cross-sections of marketing, patient experience, and product development. We explore strategies for providing high-quality care, enhancing patient experience, and retention through cutting-edge technologies. We'll be speaking with like-minded industry leaders who will be sharing their learnings and spilling some secrets, too. Welcome, Mark, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Uh, I'd love to just kind of give you a minute platform. Give us your breakdown on your background and where you are now.
1: Sounds good. Uh, Brian J. It's great to, great to join you guys. I'm, I'm honored to be speaking to you both. Um, so my name is Mark Needham. I'm the chief growth officer for a company called Combinog. We make a, uh, marketing and patient acquisition platform called Sparkle. I have been, um, on the client side of things in healthcare for, Very long time, about uh, 22 years now. I worked for Northwestern Memorial in Chicago, Script Health here in San Diego. I've worked for a national hospice provider called Compassus. So, very familiar with the healthcare marketing and digital side of things on the fee for service and um, end of life care side of things. Um, I've been working for Commonwealth for about a year now and very much enjoying. Having conversations with different healthcare providers, uh, listening to the same problems that I faced across the course of my career, and really looking at ways that technology and digital services can address patient need through the lens of marketing. And so, breaks I'll talk to you guys today about how that uh, how that looks from a user experience perspective, from a patient experience perspective, and uh, what we can learn through some of the data that we still have access to the, the ever ever shrinking pools of data that we still have access to. So.
0: I'm really excited to be here. Now I'm really excited to be here for you to be here as well. Uh, we'll definitely touch on that ever shrinking pool comment, I think later in the conversation. But, uh, selfishly, I'm really excited to speak with you. Even in our pre conversation, you do have some really unique integrations that give you an extremely unique view on just kind of the digital user journey. Uh, I think we can zoom right into one. And that's an interesting jumping off point is your uh, kind of macro. Uh, data around appointment scheduling and particularly appointment drop-offs.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and so, like I said, the platform that we offer, and I think, you know, I don't want to talk about the platform, but one of the things that we've done over the course of, of my career is, as a healthcare marketer, try to understand what's happening, right? Try to understand, you know, we started out 20 years ago and it was kind of, okay, well, we're driving people to a website. And then the next step was, okay, well, what's happening to the people after they come to the website? You know, We've got these forms being filled out. We've got people calling individual physician offices to make appointments. How do we know that we're being successful from a marketing perspective? And always, you know, through the course of my career, I'm a pretty selfish guy, and so I've looked at it from a selfish marketing perspective. How do I know that the efforts I'm making as a healthcare marketer are effective? And so that was the lens I came to things through, was to to seek to understand that more completely. And I think that was something that, you know, a lot of us in the healthcare marketing world did. but through the course of that, and I think through the course of exploration of that idea, you have to expand your boundaries, right? You have to go beyond. You have to, you have to pull more data and you have to connect to different systems and you have to go deeper into the process. And that often means touching healthcare operations. It often means sometimes crossing that border into the clinical and operations side of healthcare to really understand what's happening to people after you've brought them in from a marketing perspective. So. The platform, obviously, and, and my efforts on the platform over the years have grown from, hey, we're pushing people to the website. Hey, we're pushing people into a managed phone situation, into a call center that we're managing. Hey, we're pushing people into a CRM where we're nurturing them. Hey, we're actually pushing people into the EMR itself and learning things about that with the data we're getting back from the EMR. So you've got that full kind of continuum, that connection of that data all the way through, right? From that marketing first touch point all the way through to the patient experience. And so, as a byproduct of this, what we've got is is the ability to drill into any one of those areas, right? The ability to drill into your marketing campaigns, the ability to drill into the call center experience, the ability to drill into, and what we're talking about, the appointment scheduling piece of things, where we can say, okay, let's look specifically at individual pieces of this and say, where are people dropping off? And I'm going to share my screen really fast, and I'll um, and I'll describe this as we're as we're going. Can you can you see this? Okay. Yep. Okay. So it's a Sankey chart, just for, for people listening, obviously, that can't see this. Um, it's a Sankey chart showing the flow of people coming through the doctor finder experience, right? It's coming through and it's got the different breakpoints and the different drop-off points. Um, and I think we'll be sharing a version of the screenshot along with the podcast uh, so, so people can see this themselves. But it shows basically people coming in to a doctor finder experience. Um, and it shows how many of those people went through the doctor finder profile experience, how many come in through a search, how many come in through directly to a physician profile. And so we all know the different paths that people come through to get to these things. Um, how many people of those go through and start the appointment checkout process? How many of those people log in to the patient portal and sign out as a you know a complete the appointment check in appointment booking process? as a logged in user and how many of those actually use the guest sign up, how many make it through the insurance checkpoint and make sure they kind of have the insurance information, how many of those people, um, get through to the confirmation screen how many actually of those actually book appointments. And we can also go further than this obviously and say, okay, well how many of those booked appointments, um, got notifications, how many showed up, how many didn't. So you can, like I said, expand beyond this into marketing on the left and say, um, you know, where do these people come from? And you can expand into it on the right, um, from an operations perspective and say, how are we doing from a patient experience perspective? Um, but to the question, the central question of this is, what's happening with these drop offs, right? We can see in this diagram that we've got here, you've got, you know, 7,000 or sorry, 8,000 people that have started the process. And of those, you've got about 4,000 actual appointments. And so, what's happening to those 4,000 people or so that drop off? And where do they drop off? And, you know, what can you learn from where they're dropping off? And you can see a lot of these people are visiting appointment, um, you know, visiting the, the doctor finder and just not, um, you know, not not scheduling or they're getting into it and maybe ask answering a few questions, but not getting all the way through. And so this is this is where it gets interesting, I think, and where from a user experience perspective and from a digital experience perspective, you have the opportunity to look at data like this. Um, to look at data that your tools are giving you, no matter what tool it is, whether it's you know the the website itself or landing pages or the doctor finder or portions over your EMR or patient portal that you're exposing to people, um, and looking into each one of these drop-off points. You know, start with the big ones, right? Start with the obvious ones, where why are why are the majority of users dropping off at you know any given point? And I think when you start to do that, you can perform experiments, you can tweak things, you can um interview patients that are going through this. Process, you know, you can maybe single out a group of people that have dropped off and actually interview them to find out what their, what their concerns were. And that's a really great way to learn things about this. Um, but also go through the process yourself. I mean, how many times have you, have you used the tools? How many times have you kind of dogfooded the, the actual process
0: that you're putting in front of people to make sure it is streamlined? No, no I love, I love, I mean, there's so, so many entry points into this, this graphic that maybe just start on a meta and kind of zoom out. I mean, there's gotta be an assumed attrition, like some amount, right? But what is that? I mean, do you have a benchmark or even an understanding that you start at and look at and go, success rate 55% is great, but that seems like massive rooms for improvement. Yeah,
1: well, and just for, and I'm, I'm not gonna talk about the specific client here, but just for context, um, this is a client that did switch. So this is a, a Sparkle based tool that we're looking at from a, um, from a usability perspective. Um, and they did actually switch from Epic Open Scheduling, the kind of Epic EMR-based tool. And so, one of the things we knew about the Epic EMR-based appointment scheduling tool here was that the usability was a shortcoming. You know, and I think we can all say you know, EMR tools are often. Um, I don't want to say usability is an afterthought, but it is something that. <laughs> it, maybe maybe it is safe to say it's an afterthought in some cases um and so they saw a very big lift we had baselines from when they were using the open scheduling tool and the, the baselines just to be very clear were were much much lower than this and so there was a there's a big improvement right and so you can say what are the what are the baselines if you put any tool in front of people people are going to use it and people will make the effort if they really want you to, to get through it but there's uh, a subset of those people that will drop out if you put hurdles in front of them and then the lower you can make those hurdles it's proven that if you keep lowering those hurdles, more and more of that initial pool of people will get through that to the point where I think you can reach, you know, a very, very high percentage of people actually making it through the process. But you think about it in terms of practical things, you know, you can see that one of the areas people are dropping off in, uh, not this one, but another version of this chart that I've got is the insurance checkpoint, right? Where people are asked to validate the insurance information, either that we have on file or asked to enter their insurance information. And so from a practical perspective, thinking about my own experiences, that means, going and finding the place I left my insurance card, right? And, you know, pulling it out. And, you know, maybe I'm doing this between meetings or I'm doing this, you know, while my kids are doing something in the background or, you know, whatever it is. And oftentimes that means, um, I'll get back to this later. When you come back and your session's timed out or, you you, you know, something comes up and you end up doing something else. And just little things like that Those are the things that I think stand between people. And Jay, you mentioned something as before we got on, it was pretty interesting that kind of the idea that, you know, that, that piece of information that is the important one often waits until after that critical moment to, uh, to be delivered. And I think it's similar in situations like this where you have, um, you know, something that is important in the moment, but then if that moment passes, it's, it's kind of too late. And I'd love to. I'd love to kind of hear what you guys think about that from
2: a, from a usability perspective and, and from that initial pre-clinical patient experience that we're, that we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, one thing that comes to mind that I think is really interesting is, is the sort of rise of these sort of, um, you know, startups that, that, that tackle like one element of um, the patient experience. One of that is, is um, or one example of that is as companies that target uh, eligibility. So, you know, basically just plug in your, you know, a few data points about yourself and then it goes and pings um, the insurers uh, to pull your insurance information. Um, is that something you guys have been exploring and, and, and working with or is it pretty manual? Um,
1: a lot of it is manual, right? I mean, there are, there are some eligibility checks that go on in the background of these processes. We obviously do integration with the EMR-based tools and some of their eligibility um, checking tools. Um, but yeah, a lot of it is, and some of this is client nuance, right? Some of it's, you know, different clients have specific nuance around eligibility and different requirements around different requirements that are set in the EMR that then kind of, um, move, move that forward in that direction. Um, but yeah, obviously, and I think that's a, that's a really great opportunity for people too, right? Like finding these tools, finding these drop-off points and finding elements like that where you can. Give people a lift or hold people's hand or take something out of the process that is a, an encumbrance to, to getting it done. And so that's a really great example of, of one of those kind of opportunities. Um, another, and, and like I, I think I've talked to you guys about previously, but obviously uh, is new to this conversation is finding those points where someone might be far along this and might kind of come back, decide to come back to this later. But that idea of an abandoned cart, what do you do with an abandoned cart? And obviously, in an e commerce perspective, there's a lot of work that can be done with abandoned cards, right? A lot of it's kind of follow up emails and discount codes sent after the fact. But in the healthcare experience and the healthcare consumer experience, I think there's an opportunity to do more, right? People, this is people, and I think, you know, going back to my own motivation for this, these are people. Not, not hundred percent of the time. Obviously, primary care, people booking primary care appointments are a slightly different mixture than people looking at, um, you know, specialty care. But oftentimes these are people in crisis, right? You've got people that are looking to make appointments that are in a time, um, where there is a health concern. There is a health concern for a loved one. There's a health concern for a child. And so these are not straightforward online consumer experiences. These are people that really need your support and need your help. Um, and so what can you do to make it easier? And so from an abandoned cart perspective, one of the things that we look at is, okay, if someone makes it through a certain piece of this process, if someone's made the investment in forming a relationship with your organization, if someone has the need for this type of appointment, what can you do to make it easier for them? And one of the things we do is sometimes have, okay, well, let's have, um, a subset of our call center or a subset of our, you know, marketing integrator marketing interception call center, do some outreach, right? Let's do, we know that someone made it to this point in the process and dropped off. Let's let's trigger a phone call, outbound phone call to these people to make sure that they're okay, make sure that they were able to put the appointment some other way, make sure they're getting the help they need, and really help them through maybe those last two or three steps in the process. Um, you know, from a dollars and cents perspective for an organization, capturing that new patient obviously makes a lot of sense, but from a usability and a patient experience perspective, That extra hand holding and that extra kind of white glove approach really makes a difference in how that person views your organization, how they're going to engage in their own care. Um, and sometimes in the, in the, the health and, you know, successful life of, of this person that you're able to touch, right? I mean, if you're, if you've got someone that is frustrated by the user experience or is confused by how to access care, then if you can, stop them from putting that off if you can help them to access the care they need you know you you could be saving a life and i think that's something that is very easy to lose sight of when you're looking at aggregate numbers like this right those people that drop off there's a consequence to that drop off um and that consequence might be you know i'm going to put my primary care appointment off another six months but it might be hey i'm going to put off this uh, dermatological skin cancer screening for another six months and you know by then it might have spread or it might have you know might be a different kind of outcome than you would have had If you'd made that appointment sooner and so looking at these numbers is great from a marketing and uh you know pnl perspective but it's also you have to remember there are human beings here that are that are dropping off and you have to remember that those drop-offs aren't insignificant things people are dropping off because of frustration right this is an important thing they're doing and those people are leaving the process because we have put something in front of them that isn't good enough and so that's um that's a big responsibility i think that
2: Everyone involved in this process has to uh, to those patients. So, Mark, one of the interesting things that I've dealt with in the past is at um, my previous company, Sherpa, we uh, used to refer folks to specialists. And um, you know, once you sort of refer out to the the beast of healthcare, you're kind of out of control of the experience. And what I thought was interesting was a lot of like negative reviews we got around those referrals uh, was because uh, patients didn't have time to schedule, um, an appointment and they kind of dropped off. And then the the specialist office would call them and say, Hey, you know, um, let's schedule your appointment. And that was a big turnoff to them, which was, it's it's just such a wild thing. Healthcare is just such a weird, you know, uh, issue. Um, and, 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 and that's something you also have to consider is just like, well, I'm maybe not ready to make this appointment. That's kind of why I dropped off. And like, how do you sort of protect um, that patient's experience um, knowing, you know, what their wishes are and, 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 you know, basically trying to find out when they're ready to actually psychologically make that appointment.
1: Yeah. And that, that's a really good point. And that's something that I've, I've not listened to enough of the outbound phone calls to have experienced that. But I know, you know, as we were developing social media programs, as social media was kind of becoming a thing in healthcare. Um, that was something we were really careful about, right? Was kind of when do we enter that conversation? When is it appropriate for a healthcare organization to enter that conversation? And when is it appropriate to do that kind of outbound outreach around, um, around those experiences? And so I think that's, uh, that's a really, really interesting point. Um, yeah. yeah and I, I, I could obviously see that. And I think, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know how you counter that beyond saying, okay, well, let's look at what those thresholds are. Maybe let's do some experimentation around some of this outreach toward the bottom of the funnel where people are obviously putting a lot of effort in and maybe there are some of these more onerous last steps, especially for specialty scheduling and, and some of those, um, some of those pieces. But yeah, that's something that obviously if someone's just visiting the doctor fund, you, you don't want to be calling them and, uh, and saying, Hey, I saw you were looking at bariatric surgery uh, options and, and what's the, <laughs> what's, how can we help you? Um, so, so yeah, that's, uh, that's a really good consideration. Yeah.
0: Yeah. One of the concepts of this reinforces to me, we're always pushing this idea that your care starts well before your actual physical interaction with that patient. There's this 24 seven almost sales agent online that if you're providing a poor experience, there's a massive attrition or uh, opportunity loss just from a brand, brand loyalty perspective. And I can, I can't even count the amount of times that the data fields that a client or Push in to collect pre physical uh, coming into the office is just bloated. There's this concept of like letting operations always lead the conversation. But then on the marketing side, like there's a minimum side of just like name and email that that's not right either. Like, how do you think about finding that sweet spot? and And is it a moving target kind of based on almost the specialty type? Yeah,
1: I mean I I think it has to be right because like you said I think the the lower the threshold you can make the more successful you know I mean any any form you put online if you the fewer fields you have the more readily people are going to fill it out and I think the the less research people have to do and the less kind of like you know the less kind of side work people have to do to fill out that form the easier it's going to be for them to complete it. Um, I do think there are, um, you know, thinking back to my time in hospice, there were very specific criteria that we needed to collect from patients, right? And some of that was very difficult for patients. So it was things like a a physician's order around hospice care um, and things like, you know, kind of validating insurance and and coverage and things like that. So, um, But again, in those situations where you're asking for more from a patient, it, it behooves you to have people helping, right? And so it wasn't like we were sending people into the wilderness and saying, okay, well, we need a doctor's order. What we were doing is we were starting with name and email and maybe a couple of simple questions about why they needed care and just kind of you know narrowing that and kind of filtering the audience down a little bit into those more kind of qualified leads. So the idea of qualifying that lead through the funnel, but qualifying them through the clinical lens and qualifying them. You know, obviously it's a, you know, it's a sales process like any others, but qualifying them in a benevolent way that makes sure that they're accessing the kind of care that they need. And then once you get them through to that initial qualification step, then you have a care team that steps in to help them and say, okay, well, we're going to talk to your physician to get physician's order for you. And we're going to come to your house and do that, um, in-person assessment. And we're going to, you know, there's, there's people assigned to your case are going to help you through this process. Um, and I think that's lacking, honestly, I think that's lacking, um, in, a lot of care in america specifically i mean you know in a lot of other healthcare systems too i'm sure but in my experience in america there is the idea that healthcare providers expect patients to know what kind of care they need and how to access it and almost universally that's not the case right most people's experience with healthcare is their first experience with healthcare and most people's experience with any specific specialty or subspecialty is their first experience in that field and they are, like I said, often in crisis, often confused, often, you know, not really knowing what they need. And so it really is up to us to help them um, through through those processes.
0: How do you think about that? And like, you're in a unique position. Is your technology often kind of leading in an advisory role when you flip the switch and change this digital experience to physical? And like where in like, kind of that journey becomes the perfect handover? Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely.
1: And it's not, it's not so much relating. And I think this has been true, not even from a technology perspective, but from a marketing perspective. I'm sure you guys are familiar with this too. Um, as soon as you start touching these things, is what I was saying earlier, you, you start to shine flashlights in different areas and you start to touch operations and you start to see as soon as you start touching the patient experience and, you know, the preclinical patient experience too, you start to see the inefficiencies in the system and you start to see where people are getting stuck and you start to hear about the frustrations people are having in trying to reach care. And you, like Jay said, you, you start to see the reviews that people are leaving. And, um, you know, so, so I don't think it's leading so much as it is having the data to show, um, to show where where things are going wrong, and being able to raise your hand and saying, "Hey, this is um, this is a frustration for our patients. How can we solve this?" And so, in my career, one of the things that's been successful for me is looking at it from a, a um, you know cost per acquisition kind of perspective. Right? It's, it's okay. Well, hey CFO, we can make this organization a lot of money. We can grow market share. We can you know grow referrals and grow referral volume. But we need your help to solve these operational problems because here is this bottleneck and here is this, here is this part of the patient onboarding process that is broken and is frustrating and is, you know, causing kind of attrition from that uh, patient onboarding process. And so using finances and um, acquisition data as a lever to kind of get into those conversations is a great way to do it. But yeah, obviously, I mean, you get, you, you have to have, um, support and you have to have that footprint within an organization to be able to to have conversations like that and it's never it doesn't begin and end with marketing because you have you know you can you can have and own the digital experience you can have and own the kind of call center and kind of that part of the experience but at some point Again, Jay, like you said, at some point, you're passing people off into the wild, right? You're, you're taking these people that you've spent money and effort and care in bringing into the organization, these people that you recognize that have need, they have clinical need, they have emotional need, you've found them, you've identified them, you've qualified them, you've given them the best possible experience up to that point. But at some point, you're pushing them into the meat grinder that is, um, you know, the kind of heartless bureaucratic aspects of healthcare that we're all so familiar with and so yeah i think anything you can do to highlight those things um and kind of reframe them in the language that the organization understands is is really important to to be able to deal and so yeah i mean we you know obviously over the years like i said you develop that scar tissue and you develop those calluses and those calluses come in the form of hey here's a here's a report that focuses on a rli and here's a report that focuses on drop-offs and um things like that That you can really help an organization to understand the cost of and you might understand it on a personal level as the human cost of it and like i said what that drop-off represents from a human cost and from a health cost and from a community health cost um, but it's important for the organization to understand it is, here's, um, you know, here's what the financial cost of the organization is, and how, do we, how can you help me fix this?
0: Have you seen, or can you talk in like really literal terms, any macro trends or even areas of priority that are causing those bottlenecks in the drop-offs? I mean,
1: the, the arc of history is long, but I think a lot of people, um, and Jay, you and I talked about this a little bit before would say that um, EMRs, right? I mean, the the putting the EMR between the patient and the physician and putting the EMR between the patient and their care, a um, lot of efficiencies, a lot of really tremendous things have come out of that. A lot of, you know, real lives have been saved, but there is a lot of um, additional overhead, a lot of additional overhead on the physician side of things that then I think reduces time for care um, and a lot of additional overhead on the kind of uh, patient side of things too. So, I think there is a lot of, I think the, the net net is a benefit there in that, you know, your, your continuity of record and easy access to records and things like that. But there is a cost from a, um, and I don't know, I'm not even sure that's true. As I'm, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm not even sure that's true because you do then have that consistency in care too, right? And the consistency experience in experience that uh, an EMR brings you and you do have um, some of those pieces too. So, um, but trends, yeah. I mean, I think there, there's a trend towards consumerism in healthcare. So there's a lot of things that are, are moving in the right direction, right? Like I said, more and more people have access to this data. More and more people are putting appointment scheduling online, which is a great tool for consumers. Um, there is a growing awareness that consumers have the expectation that they're going to have a good experience. And I think you can do that. You know uh, you know you look at organizations putting kind of um, vp level patient experience roles in place and um you know paying attention to this and having the ritz carlton come in and consult and you know kind of thinking in more of the hotel mindset and thinking more in that kind of way about the patient experience um but that has to match up at the clinical level and i think it's a balance for organizations especially these past couple of years as as you know hospitals bottom lines have suffered so much through COVID and suffered so much through kind of reimbursement things. Um, But the balance has to be that that user experience needs to be consistent from that
0: first touch all the way through um, the actual clinical setting. And I think that's a challenge for a lot of organizations. Yeah. I mean, so it sounds like there's this double digit almost jump immediately. I don't know what the baseline number was, but you clearly had a metric below that 55% success rate that seems like it jumped dramatically just in inverting the process. We're always proponents of that, of this kind of inside-out approach from EMRs is just trying to stay very structured in kind of the business of healthcare experience, bringing to the consumer, where your guys' success point is you invert that and go, well, let's make the consumer experience consumer first. So you have this sounds like there's this huge bump initially and in just kind of changing the concept of who's bringing the appointment experience to the forefront. But then how do you think about, or is it your client specific? Like, what are then the, the next macro breakoffs that I can't assume? I mean, Jay's right that some subset just aren't ready mentally or geographically, financially to make it, but I can't assume that 45% of people are not ready. Like, how do you then think about, or what are then the next kind of dominoes that you look at once you've broken the model from being kind of EMR first experience?
1: Yeah. And just to, I mean, just go back that EMR first model, and I think this is true in a lot of areas in healthcare, and especially healthcare technology. A lot of things are put in place by checklist, right? And they say, okay, well, we want appointment scheduling. Our EMR offers appointment scheduling, so we're just going to check this box, turn it on, and it, it works, and it gets us ninety percent of the way there. But the difference is that ten percent. That ten percent is the difference between a good experience and a, a checklist based one. Um, so yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Turning it turning it from a how do we answer this basic question of turning appointment scheduling on into how do we actually extend, how do we get people into the organization and how do we serve patients first instead of, um, instead of just kind of serving the organization first. Um, I think a lot of organizations are good at that, right? Like a lot of organizations are good at saying what does, you know, not what's in it for the hospital or the health system, but what's in it for the patient and how, looking at it through the patient lens and, and through the patient's eyes is a, is an important first way to do it um but yeah that that next step and what we've done is you build evangelism you build support inside of an organization by getting those early wins right like we're we're able to say you know when we've come into an organization and we've offered that and it was in the example i was talking about we had a 240% increase in appointments booked online just switching away from the EMR based tools to the more user friendly based tools right and that's a that's a big deal and it wasn't like oh we're doing a bunch of additional promotion it was we're giving you more user friendly tools and you're growing market share and growing referrals and growing patient volume and growing real incremental revenue for the organization through the use of these and i think if you can say that if you can say hey guys look we we changed user experience and grew revenue as a result of that look at the return here you can use that as a lever to say okay well now we know now now we've got this chart now we can say this is the data here's another friction point right here's a friction point for people in this process if we address this we can you know we can solve this for some people we can get more people through we can you know get more money for the organization so let's put some resources behind this let's put some you know it doesn't have to be dollars and you know it doesn't have to be money behind this but let's get a team a clinical operations team or a patient onboarding team involved in this process to see how we can reduce this friction through the process um, how can we maybe remove a couple of questions from this form and have people do more of a white glove thing further down the process how can we how can we um just smooth, smooth user experience of the appointment booking piece specifically to um, to help people through it and and get more people through that funnel and into the organization where they need to be. So
2: um, so er- early wins as levers later on. I mean, you know, it's really interesting because a lot of people think of uh, you know healthcare being like some special little snowflake, you know. And uh, to me, it's 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 kind of not. You know, um, we have a lot of the same problems as other industries. And you mentioned, you know, Ritz-Carlton and hotel booking and things like that as a, as, as, as something, um, to pay attention to. Um, you know, whenever I make an appointment with a hairstylist or a dentist or something like that, it's, it seems years ahead of healthcare. And what's sort of like the gold standard out there that you really pay attention to and you really are inspired by, um, for, you know, booking something else in another industry?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, I am. I'm probably the wrong person to ask this because I'm not the person designing the user interfaces. But from a from a personal experience, mm-hmm. and honestly, you say hairstylist, but my hairstylist for years um, didn't have online appointment booking. And I every time I went to see her, I was like, why, you know, why can't I, why can't I uh, book an appointment with you online? Why do I have to kind of talk to you in person or send you a text? And her. What she said to me was exactly the same as what I've heard in hospital C-suites as I've been talking about online appointment booking. It's like, well, there's variability in appointment length, and there's special consideration about what appointments I'm able to do when. And if I'm booking a color here, I need to book a a half-hour haircut afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so that same kind Mm of nuance and... Complexity of appointment scheduling, I think, scares people away from it, right? And that's that's what you hear in hospitals. Mm-hmm. It's like, a, like you said, we're we're special snowflakes, and you know, we couldn't possibly get our physicians mm-hmm. on board with this. And this specialty has all these prerequisites and needs a referral in, and so all these problems that seem very daunting that frighten organizations away from this in the first place, I think, um, become gospel and become kind of the. The mythology, the internal mythology of an organization that stops them from tackling some of these things originally. Um, But honestly, I mean, I think you look at some of the experience online, um, it's not necessarily appointment scheduling, but online shopping, right? You look at online shopping and you look at Mm -hmm. these things have been refined to a point when I'm online and I buy something with Apple Pay and I can just kind of, you know, fingerprint and it knows my address and, you know, the Amazon checkout process, it's all seamless because there is you know, there are billions of dollars in the background at stake if you get it right. If you if you shave something off the, off the, um, out of the friction areas of that, it means more sales, which means more revenue. And so it's the same in healthcare. And I think we need to be more diligent about that as an industry and specifically as healthcare marketers. This is something that resides in our, you know, something that we have the power to do is to refocus things and say, hey, if we get this right, if we get the user experience right, we're going to get more patients. We're going to help more people. We're going to help more people's, we're going to support more people's health, and we're going to grow revenue for the organization. And that's the lens that is unique to healthcare marketing that can make a real, like, real positive difference in, uh, in people's lives. And I think that's, um, and this is an interesting balance, right? It's an interesting balance between we're serving the community, we're helping people's health, and we're growing revenue for this organization that, um, you know, right now probably needs it more than ever. And then there's a third piece of it, right? I think as healthcare marketers, too, Healthcare marketers, and I'm sure there are people listening that will nod their heads to this. Healthcare marketers, we're the first people that get our budgets cut, right? In hard times, we're the first people that have layoffs. We're the first people that say, oh, well, you know, that, that marketing cost center, you need to, you need to cut some money from there. And so I think, again, selfishly, it behooves us to really understand what we're bringing into an organization. It really behooves us to have a fine, you know, fine attribution model and a finely kind of, um, honed um, idea of what the return that we're bringing to our organization is. And, and one of my goals in any organization I've been in is um, you know, we're not a cost center. We're a revenue generating piece of the organization. And here are the statistics and here are the metrics that I can use to prove that. And, um, and I, think, you know, yeah. I think that's getting, like we talked about before, it's getting more and more difficult as some of those um, data tools that we've had access to in the past are getting stripped away a little bit um is getting more difficult to kind of optimize some of the tactics as some of those data things get stripped away a little bit but that data still exists and that perspective becomes more and more important to healthcare marketers as
2: uh, as the world shifts in this direction. So. Yeah, it's super interesting <laughs> to think about that stuff um because you know to me when your schedule's full as a doctor like I don't need it to be fuller Right. And yeah. so there's this, uh, there's this really interesting sort of argument you're making in the sense that like, well, hey, sometimes this is about bringing in revenue, but sometimes it's equally important to just have a better patient experience. And so the better patient experience is a, not an easy sell in healthcare. Um, but you know, it's, uh, how do you guys sort of think about, about that as is, is the sales tactic going into organizations? Um, you know, patient experience versus versus revenue? Or how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I,
1: I'm not, um, like I said, I've been on the client side. And so I, I think a lot of people would tell you I'm not a great sales guy. And so <laughs> it's, um, I think, you know, my approach and my approach not is not on the vendor side of things where I am now, but my approach inside organizations has always been know who you're talking to, right? If I'm talking to my COO or I'm talking to my CFO, it's it's about revenue and it's about bottom line for the organization. Um, personally, and speaking with you know my marketing folks and speaking with my own teams, it's about the human experience and it's about how can we best serve our patient population and how can we how can we put tools in front of people that are going to be delightful for them to use instead of a frustration. How can we how can we make this experience something that's good instead of something that is something they have to do right it's not eating your vegetables it's you know it's it's a simple checkout process it's uh it's something easy to do and i think you know it, it it's easy to lose sight of that in healthcare and i think i touched on this a little bit before it's easy to think of you know numbers and clicks and phone calls and you know kind of cost per acquisition and things like that but again it's it's real human lives and oftentimes and i think this was this was really eye-opening for me especially when i moved from um hospital-based healthcare into the hospice world i mean the hospice world the people the phone calls i was listening to the searches i was seeing people make it is people that have been delivered a terminal diagnosis and it was people that were in very very high crisis and people that had absolutely no idea what they were doing whether it was themselves or a loved one that had been kind of put into this situation and were kind of facing down this end-of-life um scenario And it was like holy this is this is important this is this is important work we're doing where we need to have educational resources in front of people to help them through this process to help them understand what they're facing and what their options are and we need to have compassionate care we need to meet them at the door at their door with compassionate care we need to make sure that they're getting someone that is gonna literally in some cases hold their hand and tell them it's going to be okay and and help them into the system that can help them um and so yeah, that was that was a really big eye opener for me.
0: Tell tell me if I'm right in in the theme I'm hearing, but I think there's this kind of wishful outsider's view, especially in the tech community approaching healthcare, that technology, automation, chat is gonna solve all of healthcare's problems. But everything I hear from you really is it may augment, but it's still a, a human product that's being delivered.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes back to that 90% thing, right? Like you, you could have, you can have tools out there that will address 90% of the people that are coming through the process, right? I know my insurance information. I'm just booking a primary care appointment. I don't want to bother with the phone. I know where I'm going. I know what I'm doing. This is simple stuff, right? And you can use EMR based tools and you can use chat bots that are, you know, maybe not quite all the way there yet um and you can use just the basic kind of out of the box stuff to address those things but for that other 10 percent the people that don't know what they're doing the people that really have need those are the people you need to pay attention to because if you can make things easy for them one you're helping a, a very um you know good audience you're helping an audience that really requires your help but two if you can make things as easy as possible for the people that don't know what they're doing and don't know where they need to be then you're making it that much better for everyone else too right like you're not it doesn't hurt to have a good experience it doesn't hurt to have um break points and it doesn't hurt to have kind of little um you know little spurs off the process to make sure that you're catching people that might not know any specific piece of information or um you know those kind of break the glass to to have someone step in and help you kind of pieces of the process and so, yeah, having having a well thought out process and having something that really focuses on patient experiences, you know, um,
0: it, it's it's good.
1: <laughs> it's a good thing to do. Yeah.
0: To flip the script a little bit, you reference it right when you introduce yourself, and you kind of drift it. Proud is this kind of dwindling access to data, particularly and anal- like web analytics. I'm curious your view of the state of the industry, how it's affecting your technology, if it's not. I think the 800-pound grill in the room and Google Analytics and the shift to GA4, but really, maybe I'd love your your view on the industry first, and then zoom down to how it, if it is affecting you guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a big... Uh, how much time have we got left? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a big subject conversation, right? Because it's a good thing, right? It's a good thing that we're being made to pay more attention to what's being done with our patients' data. I mean, we do like i said we're dealing with people um at, in very vulnerable states we're dealing with very very sensitive information and i think it's good that our industry is regulated in a way that makes sure that we're paying attention to what's happening to this and honestly facebook and google should not be handling um patient data they they have shown time and time again that they can't be trusted to do the right thing there you know, there are bad actors within the system there are bad actors within the kind of advertising ecosystem there are people that should not have access to patient data that have had ready access to patient data um i remember when i was on the on the client side of things we spoke to an organization who i won't name but they do kind of data aggregation around um you know around patient data and so they were able to say okay well look we put this cookie on your website and you can get all this data that we combine with all this other data and all the kind of credit card data and Tell you exactly who's on your page and connect that to the conditions they're looking at. And I was like, oh, this is creepy as hell and really inappropriate. And so, um, there are things that we should not be doing. And I think regulation and I, I, without, without kind of forcing people's hand in this regard, it's easy, right? You put the tag manager on, you put the Facebook tracking pixel on, and you put Google Analytics on your website. And hey, look at these amazing reports I'm able to get out. And, you know, look at all this kind of, I can connect it back up to my AdWords account and our Google ads account and and get my campaigns optimized and all this data is great and it's just fantastic and I'm doing my job, but it's not always the right thing to do because that data comes at a cost and it comes at the cost of, you know, Mark Zuckerberg knowing when someone's looking at, um, you know, something that is very, very sensitive potentially, right? We have, we have all kinds of, you know, any on the education on any website, you have things that people are going to be reading which expose, um, you know, health conditions that they might have or health conditions they might suspect they have or, you know, people should be allowed to do research like that in private. Um, And I think, you know, obviously it's gone further with some of the some of the uh, meta tracking pixel and some of the Google Analytics stuff they're saying where building these into patient portals and building them into appointment scheduling pieces where, really sensitive data and real like legitimate PHI is being passed across these, these thresholds into the vendor ecosystem is, is obviously inappropriate. So on the one hand, yes, well, well, good. <laughs> more more regulations, great. But on the other hand, okay, if we're saying as a healthcare marketer, I need this data to be able to see that drop off and to be able to refine this process and to be able to serve the right ads, to the right people to get them into the care they need to get them into a a well-optimized user experience on the front end because i'm able to use all this data for good then it's a bad thing right so it's kind of a, and uh and so you've yeah. got the two sides of that same coin where um and now especially like i said healthcare marketers are looking at budget cuts and healthcare marketers are looking at needing to prove their results more and more and so as that's happening as the as the rise in need for this data comes you're, you're getting diminishing access to this data and you're getting kind of less access to this and less ability to prove your results. And so it's a, it's a perilous situation right now. I think it's a really um, tricky situation where these easy tools that we've had access to for so long that we've taken for granted so much um, are now are, are evaporating around us. And, and I think a lot of people are going to end up, um, having it turned off overnight right their compliance department their security is going to come to them and say hey uh we noticed you're still using google analytics on the website we've seen all these lawsuits um you know um hhs has come out and said that uh, this is not HIPAA compliant and we're, we're pulling it off and so a lot of people are just gonna be left in the dark and that means okay well how do i know my campaigns are converting and okay i'm spending hundred thousand dollars a month on these campaigns and i can't justify doing that anymore if i don't have access to the results to do that and so you know the consequences for marketers are significant uh the consequences for patients are significant in that you're not able to target effectively anymore and you're not able to kind of drive people into the experiences you want to be able to drive people into um but yeah it's something that that really needs to be figured out very quickly i think and it's what was i listening to the other day Oh, it was around the the Silicon Valley bank collapse, but it was it was a quote from an economist that said things take an exceptionally long time to happen, but then when they happen, they they happen exceptionally quickly. And I think it's going to be a similar situation mm-hmm. here, where this has been growing. I mean, ten years ago we were having a conversation about the Facebook tracking pixel. Like, ten years ago we were saying, hey, this is this is passing data efficiently passing, and then overnight it was a couple of lawsuits, and uh, and all of a sudden it's gone, right? And there were news stories and. Um, it happened very, very quickly, and I think we're going to see a similar thing with other um, other marketing data
0: access points that we have. Well, so, uh, I appreciate you even attempting to answer, and it sounds like it walked us into what could be a, a clearly follow up <laughs> conversation. Uh, I mean, I guess just to answer like I guess the assumption then is the data you showed us, and really the data around that user experience, is all non contingent on Google Analytics or Web Analytics. Yeah yeah
1: and that's something you know like i said we had this conversation 10 years ago and i think as an organization the organization i work for now that makes sparkle we have internal analytics right we allow third-party cookies and first-party cookies but we do um url-based attribution we do kind of first-party session-based attribution and we're able to track people all the way through without having to rely on third-party sources and so it's data that we keep internal. It's in a fully HIPAA compliant environment. We you know, we we are very buttoned up around um, data security because we knew we knew this was coming. Right, we all knew this was coming, and so um, yeah, we're able to to do the the rich reporting and look at the things that matter from an optimization and conversion standpoint without having to rely on Google Analytics. And actually, we have and uh, we've got integrations with third-party tools. Like Google Analytics, where we're actually able to pass anonymized conversion data back upstream, so we're still able to we're still able to offer our clients—not <laughs> to—not to, not to <laughs> be the sales guy, but we're still able to offer our clients the ability to pass that conversion data back upstream, attached to click IDs and things, and allow them to optimize their campaigns without exposing them to um, to or their patients to um, to that kind of data data risk. And I think you know you said GA four. I think GA four addresses a lot of this. GA four comes a lot closer to um, the security model and practices that we know are are right, but that's going to come at a cost too, right? To to have GA four, um, you know, configured around these use cases, you do lose access to to some of the data that we we really thrive on and and uh, find so delicious in healthcare marketing. So it's um, it's going to be oh. it's going to be hard times, I think, for a lot of folks, and a lot of tools are kind of rising up now in the ecosystem to address that. But it is something that uh, is going to be an adjustment.
0: Well, we appreciate your time and perspective and it's, it's nice to see a, a healthcare technologist that's clearly consumer and patient first in their approach. So. Well,
1: I appreciate, well, we the, appreciate- uh, the opportunity to, to kind of
2: talk at you guys for, <laughs> for a while. Yeah. I thought that was a good place to end. It's interesting. This uh, next new era of healthcare marketing and what it's going to look like and, you know, um, how to optimize whenever there's just so many limitations. So. Uh, I'm just uh, can't wait to see how this evolves.
1: Yeah. But it it's crazy because you have the two different worlds, right? You've got this incredibly data rich world, and then you've got, you know, really tight limitations around some other pools of data. And so it's it's um I think we're gonna have kind of a uh, an era of the haves and have nots, right? You're gonna have people doing healthcare marketing the old way and, and getting limited access to the tools, and you're gonna have people using some next generation tools that are gonna be able to do things very, very well. And so it's gonna be um, an interesting kind of period of change that we go through here All right, well i, I appreciate i awesome. uh, appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to you guys it's been a lot of fun
0: yeah same as well it's been great to have you thank you for listening to today's episode of health impressions authority acquisition retention we hope you found the conversation insightful and thought-provoking if you enjoyed the show be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode and if you have a moment please leave us a review your feedback will only help us improve the show. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with us on social media, or you can send us an email at media at titlehealthgroup.com. T-I-D-A-L healthgroup.com. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep pushing the boundaries of your knowledge. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you again soon.